You say, what does this song have to do with the book of the Revelation? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you. For Don McLean, the death of Buddy Holly changed his world completely. So much that it took him 10 years to write a song about it. The passage we're going to look at in the Revelation, something happened in John's life that was so monumental that it transformed his world. Now, we've all had that experience. And so I want to give you a quick quiz. We'll see how, how apt we are, right? Um, some of these dates are going to be from our lifetime. Some of them are going to be from your history books. But I want to see how many of you can recognize these dates that change the world. Are you ready? All right, so I'm going to give you an easy one first. All right, so if you recognize it, you go ahead and say what it is, okay? September 11th, 2001. World Trade Center. Everybody knew that one. All right, so let's get a little bit harder, and uh, we're going to go outside of my lifespan. Outside of everybody's lifespan that's here. May 29th, 1453. Now, Ariel will know this one. Siege of Constantinople. All right. Um, Constantinople fell. My daughter's favorite moment in history. All right, let's try another one. April 14th, 1865. Lincoln's assassination. Lincoln's assassinated. Here's an easy one. December 7th, 1941. Pearl Harbor. July 20th, 1969. First moon landing. Good. Here's a tough one. April 15th, 1947. Ryan might know this one. Jackie Robinson started, um, that is right, Jackie Robinson, the first African-American since the 1880s to play in the major leagues. Um, that, was, that was excellent, Ray. I'm impressed. <laughs> November 22nd, 1963. Kennedy's assassination. October 29th, 1929. All right, Black Tuesday, the crash of the stock market. Now, this is one that had tremendous impact on me. These last two had tremendous impact on me and my life, and you may or may not remember them. Number one, November 9th, 1989. Follow the Berlin Wall the official date of the announcement that East Germans could visit West Germany without restriction, the fall of the Berlin Wall. How many of you remember that? Significant date? Here's the hardest one, but this is, this is one that, that burned into my mind. It's actually the reason I didn't go into the military, this date. October 3rd, 1993. Black Hawk Down. October 3rd, 1993, Staff Sergeant Bill Cleveland's body was dragged naked through the streets of Mogadishu. And I said, I'm not going. Uh, my, my, my commitment to be in the military ended that day. Now, there's a lot of reasons why I did it, but I just, it was terrifying to me. It transformed my life. It transformed the direction, direction and trajectory of my life. 
Now, if you were a young man, now most of you, uh, most of you were, were either, um, I'm, I'm going to guess pretty much everybody's either younger than me or older than me. There's a few, there's a few people. If you were older than me, that was the moment when we realized that the, the post-Reagan military was not invincible. Because we had, we had kicked the snot out of Panama. I mean, not that that was a lot. It was hard. Um, we had won the first Gulf War almost without even trying. And then we were in Somalia, and these people with handheld weapons were bringing down this massive military hardware, and we suddenly realized we were not invincible. We were not able to just beat whoever we want. I mean, we had brought down the Berlin Wall. We were unstoppable, and suddenly we weren't. And September 11th was a continuation of that. There was a lot that went into those. Those dates, um, they're dates that transform us. Uh, for example, I'll give you the bonus one, my bonus question. March 5th, 1770. The Boston Massacre. All right, the Boston Massacre, which was the catalyst for New England joining the movement that eventually became the American Revolution. It was a huge moment in the lives of those people. Now, for some of you, these dates are just dates you learned in a history book. If you're Lynn, you remember Pearl Harbor. All right? Um, you remember when we dropped the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. He remembers those days. Um, if you are... Uh, if you are 17 or younger, you don't remember September 11th. How crazy is it that the people that are now entering the military in the United States do not remember a world before September 11th when we had things called rights? Um, the, the world changes, and our way of viewing the world changes. And dates, I was joking, by the way, we still have rights, some. Um, our world changes based on days. Now, take the effect that any of those dates, whether it was uh, the assassination of Kennedy or, or Pearl Harbor or whatever it is, um, or September 11th, and magnify it to a level that you really can't comprehend. Imagine that we live in a world where Washington, D.C. has been attacked by some other nation and completely leveled and we are not able to even go there. You are, there are military, there's military posted on the barrier. You are not allowed to go in. You are not allowed to see it. Everything that was in it is gone. It has been lowered to the ground, completely raised to the ground, thrown into the ocean. Everyone who lived in the city has been wiped out by this military power. How would that affect the way that you see the world? And the reason I ask that is because that's, the life the Apostle John had. That happened to him. On August the 3rd, A.D. 70, the Temple of Jerusalem, the Temple Mount of Jerusalem, was taken by the army of, Ves of uh, Titus Flavius Vespasianus, who would eventually become the emperor. He was a general. He was the son of the sitting emperor, Vespasian, 
He had been told and commanded to do whatever it took in order to repress a Jewish revolt, which is not as, it's not as easy as it sounds because, and, and those of you that know me, you've heard this, 10% of the Roman Empire was Jewish and a larger percentage of them were in the Roman legions. They were trained military soldiers. It was a, a, a horrible, bloody, destructive war that lasted for several years. Um, it had to do with taxes. I'm not going to get into whole, all the details of it. When Titus finally took the Temple Mount on August 3rd, the, his soldiers, despite... Now, Titus later says he protested. No, don't do that. Stop, stop. His soldiers leveled the entire Temple Mount. In fact, there, if you go to Jerusalem, you can now see they've uncovered where the, the soldiers literally levered giant rocks, I mean huge stone blocks, off of the wall to get them to crash into the pavement below. They wiped it clean. And Vespasian applauded his son Titus for his victory over the Jews, and, and in order to add insult to injury, told the Jews they were no longer allowed to go to the Temple Mound. And not only that, but the tax that they had been paying for that temple, the Temple of Yahweh, the Temple of their God, that temple would now be siphoned off by the Roman government and used to finance the, tempor- the Temple of Jupiter Optimax- Optimus Maximus in Rome. They were forbidden to enter the area. In fact, about 60 years later, one of the emperors would kind of extend a, an olive tree to them and offer for them to be able to move back in. And then the Jews, another revolt took place over this tax to Jupiter Capitolinus. And so the emperor instead um, destroyed the entire city and rebuilt it and named it after his boyfriend. He built a, t- a, a, a temple of Jupiter Optimus Maximus on the Temple Mount just to insult the Jews and posted signs all the way around it um, telling the Jews that if they were found inside the city limits, they would be killed. Now that comes after John. But John lives in the shadow of a world where everything that it meant to be a Jew had been destroyed in the morning of, April, of uh, August the 3rd. Now he lives in Turkey, what is today modern-day Turkey. But this reverberates in his mind in a way we could not imagine. Is there a single one of us that was alive and cognizant on September 11th that when you drive through New York, you don't think about it? When you drive through New York City, don't you go, used to be there. You ever watch a movie that has them in it, has the towers in it? You go, wow, that feels so long ago. That was just a couple thousand people, a couple of crazy men. Imagine a whole city and a temple... Uh, the, the center point of your religion completely wiped out. Now, why do I bring all that up before we open the Bible? Because this is in John's mind when he sees the vision that we're going to talk about in Revelation chapter 18 of the fall of Babylon. Now, Babylon in the book of the Revelation is the world system. It is Rome, it is Babylon, it is the kingdoms that men build to oppose God. And it falls. Revelation chapter 18. Um, if you're visiting with us, you don't have a Bible in front of you, a uh, Bible with you. There's a Bible in the rack in front of you. The page numbers in the bulletin. And this is the Apostle John. And he says this in verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. 
And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her, her immorality. The kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And that line there, a haunt, a haunt, a haunt, it's, it's this idea of it's a desolation. It has been emptied. And there are echoes here of, of what happened in Jerusalem. There, that when Jerusalem was emptied, it was left unpopulated, unlivable. And every Jew that walked by the site of Jerusalem had to look up and see what had once been. Uh, the, 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 the rabbis in the, in the Mishnah and the Talmud, um, they talk about how if it still existed in their day, the temple of Jerusalem would have been a wonder of the world. And it was. It was an extraordinary thing that Herod the Great spent enormous amount. I mean, we're talking Jerry Jones-level money he spent on this thing. That's a football reference for all you that don't know about football. Jerry Jones spends lots and lots of money. Herod spent like 60 to 75% of his annual income for somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 years to build the temple. It was an extraordinary, extraordinary place. Completely gone. All of it wiped off the face of the earth. A haunt. And then I heard a, another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Now, I don't know why... I can't speak for sure about this, but I do know that Josephus, who was a, a Jewish trader, um, who was with the Roman soldiers at the siege of Jerusalem, the, the, uh, they would send, the Roman army would send messengers up to the wall saying, come out of her, come out of her, because if the people didn't come out of the city, they were going to be wiped out. And whether that's sitting in John's mind or not, I don't know whether it's conscious as he's hearing these words, but there is a certain um, reflection in this image of the fall of Babylon um, with his life experience of the fall of Jerusalem. There, there's something going on in John's life, uh, in John's thinking, his worldview, his, uh, his approach to the world that God is using to reveal just how catastrophic the fall of this world system will be. Verse 5, her sins are heaped high as heaven. Talking about Babylon. God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she, has, she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion of her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Then look at the response of the kings of the earth. The kings of the earth, of verse 9, who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning 
They will stand far off in fear of torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold and silver and jewels and pearls and fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense. See, right there is why you should not eat, drink pumpkin spice. Right, right there, it is of the world system. All right, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you and all your delicacies and splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls, for in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men and sailors and all those who trade is on, whose trade is on the sea stood off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city is like the great city? They threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city. You get the idea. Now the interesting thing about all of this is that this Babylon, this world system, this vision that John has is totally prophetic. Uh, the Babylon, the Rome, the world system of John's day was on the ascent. It was extraordinary. It was glorious. It was one of the wealthiest world, wealthiest government systems and economy that have ever existed in the whole, uh, in the whole of history. It would be another almost 100 years before Rome's ascendance would end. Um, after, after Vespasian would come Titus, then his brother Domitianus, there would be a very brief time of revolt, and then another family would establish, um, and, or not a family, it was a political connection, and they would rule, and they would expand, and they would grow, and everything seemed to be going great for Rome the whole time until the movie Gladiator. Um, Gladiator is based on the life of Commodus, who ruled, he died, uh, I think, 165, uh, the year 165, and he was uh, 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 a treasure. He was completely insane, thought he was Hercules, um, fought gladiatorial debate. The, the movie Gladiator is actually relatively close to history. He was actually killed by uh, a wrestler. Um, uh, so Commodus was, uh, which is why you fear wrestlers, right? Um, suddenly have an image of Hulk Hogan <laughs> beating up... Uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Um, Rome was on the ascent. It was glorious. It was beautiful. Everybody loved her. Everybody wanted to be a part of her. And whole nations were rushing in and going, can we be a part of your empire? I mean, this would happen in Roman history for, for, for centuries. People just wanted to be a part of this thing. They were wealthy on a scale that we cannot imagine. Um, and, and they had no middle class, so it wasn't like it was spread out. There were really super wealthy people, and then there were really, really poor people. Um, and that was kind of, that was the way their world worked. But they just, everything was absorbed. They had trade routes in the Roman Empire that ran all the way to China. 
They brought silks in from China. They, they brought in wealth from Southeast Asia. They, they were extended everywhere. They br- brought in soldiers from, um, from the Nordic lands, from, from uh, Germany and, and that area. Uh, they just, everything that they could do, they, they were doing. So for John to say, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great, it was nonsense. This, this system is better than it's ever been. It's great again. It's fantastic. There's no reason that anyone should ever doubt that this would fall down, that this would ever collapse, that anything bad would ever happen to Rome or Babylon. It will persevere. It will survive. And yet we have this line in verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heavens, and you saints and apostles and prophets. For God has given judgment for you against her. Now the judgment, which appears in chapter 16, which I haven't really gotten into too, too much, is seven bowls of God's wrath. There is an image in the Old Testament. Um, it, It happens in a conversation Uh, God has with Abraham. Uh, God has promised Abraham all the promised land. Israel, you know, Palestine. It's going to be Abraham's land. But God says to Abraham, but you can't have it yet. I think it's in Genesis chapter 25. Yep, Genesis 15. I was off by 10. Um, He says, you can't have it yet because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. It is not yet filled up. In other words, God keeps tabs of the wickedness of world systems and nations and tribes and peoples. And God is incredibly merciful to Rome, to Babylon, this great wickedness that he describes. Because unlike the Amorites who just had one cup of iniquity to be filled, he gives them seven. All the time in the world to repent of all that they have done. All the time in the world to to find the failure and the weakness of their wealth and turn to the one true God. But when the time comes for judgment, Babylon does not collapse on the weight of her own iniquity. She collapses because God judges her. You need to understand this as Americans, second, and Christians, first. That the systems of this world exist and prosper only because a gracious God does not judge them for the sins that they commit. When, when Christian commentators started labeling disasters, September 11th, Hurricane Katrina, this is God's judgment on America. Now, first of all, every single person that made those statements believes in some shape or form that America is some, in some way God's chosen people. And they could not be more wrong. We are not His chosen people as Americans. The church is God's chosen people in this age. Israel is God's chosen people. America is a parenthesis in the history of the world and a glorious and beautiful one, but it is not God's thing. 
And we need to understand that. We need to understand that the nation we live in, despite all of the, the blessings and rights that we receive, is still a part of the world system. It is still a part of Rome. Now, I'm not saying that Christians weren't involved in its founding, that it didn't base itself on some Christian law, but we need to understand that America is not God's instrument for righteousness in the world. We are. The church, which transcends national and language barriers, ethnic borders, the church is the agent of God's work on earth. And for us to sit around and hope and pray that America will fix the problems of this world or Russia will fix the problems of this world or Cuba will fix the problems of this world or China will fix the problems of this world is absolutely in contradiction of the Word of God. We, the church, are called to work and to do, and to show compassion, and love, and grace, and mercy in the world. We are the revelation of God's compassion upon a people who are sinful, and broken, and stuck in a world system. Don't expect the world system to fix the world system. It will simply feed itself on the blood of the martyrs. You say, this is the awful anti-American message. I love my country. I wish she was better than she is. I wish that our, that uh, Donald quoted a, a, a statistic that he, he read a poll that said that 75% of Americans claim to be Bible-believing Christians. And now Donald wasn't saying that was true. He's just saying if this were true, the direction of this country would be very different, right? And he posted it knowing there's no way this is true. I actually belly laughed. <laughs> There's no way 75% of the United States is Bible-believing Christians. I'm sorry, that's just not true. People might label themselves as Christians because, hey, in our world, we're allowed to label ourselves whatever. I could call myself a toaster. You know that, it, you know that it is, it's been decided by the courts that if you choose to call yourself a pastafarian, and worship the great spaghetti monster in the sky, you're allowed to wear a colander on your head in your driver's license picture. Your right of freedom of religion is protected. That's why, that's why we don't look to the government to guarantee our freedom of, fa of faith and, and speech. We, we, we can't. And you know what? I know I'm going to anger people. And I, I apologize right up the front, and I have avoided politics, but we're here to election day. I just want to let you know this. The candidates will tell the, the nominal Christians of this country anything they want to hear to get elected. And when I see the evangelical right following one particular candidate because, bless God, He's being identified with biblical characters. Oh, he's our Samson. He's our David. He's our Cyrus. He's our Nebuchadnezzar. And she is someone else. <laughs> the world system cannot, will not save you. And you should not look to it. 
Now, I hope on Tuesday that you as an American citizen who have the right to vote, if you have a conscious decision, whether it is Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or Gary Johnson or DeVitro for 20, President 2016, visit my Facebook page. <laughs> Always choose the, choose the more honest of three evils. If you have a conscious decision as an American citizen, you vote your conscience. But don't you dare expect America to fix the world's problems. There is only one answer for the problems of this world, and it is Jesus Christ and Him crucified, resurrected and preached by His church, lived out in our lives, and transforming the world one life at a time through the Spirit of God. When Washington, D.C. is ashes and memories in a history book, the church of Jesus Christ will still march on. Everybody said Rome would never fall, and she fell. Everybody said Constantinople is protected by the walls of Theodosius. She will never fall, and she fell, and they had to identify her emperor by what, Ariel? His purple socks. Ariel and I love the siege of Constantinople. That's what happens when your father is a history nut. The world system will fall, but it will not fall by the weight of its own sin and its own burden. It will fall by direct act of God. And whose side should we be on as the church of Jesus Christ? So go on Tuesday and vote. But put as much energy into the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ as you have put into your political arguments and comments and discussions. Do you realize that if the money that was spent to generate the postcards that got mailed to my house alone had instead been invested in caring for the poor... I, I told the elders, this is, has nothing to do with the message, I told the elders that if I ever get an email from a candidate who says I have instructed all of the organizations supporting me to not send you a single postcard, I'm going to vote for that person. I don't care who they are. Because I am so sick and tired of having to fill my recycle bin with all their glossy junk. I can't wait for this election to be over. I really can't. So I can start DeVitro for President 2020. But if you can't put as much energy into being the church of God as you are into being an American with your opinion, be warned. Come out of her, my people, he says. Uh, Mike Card writes, wrote a song about this. He says, his line, the way he translated it is, come out of me, her, my people, and never go back again. We stand aloft of this world system. It's great that we have a voice in America. But don't for a second think that America is going to fix the problem. No presidential candidate is going to fix it. You know, in 1979 and 1980, everybody believed one presidential candidate was going to fix the problem, right? Ronald Reagan. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Dutch. In 1992, America was looking for another president to fix their problem. So they elected William Jefferson Clinton. 
I bet he's an amazing conversationalist. I would love to have dinner with him as long as the women in my household were safely secured. <laughs> in 2004, 2008, the United States wanted somebody that would fix their problems. No presidential candidate can substitute for the Messiah. No amount of legal freedom or lack of freedom compares to the freedom we have in Christ. So when you leave this place, go ahead and vote your conscience. But live the gospel. But live the gospel. Now, having said all that, I want you guys to know that I did not plan to be on this passage of Scripture. I planned to be on this passage of Scripture in this study. Had no idea that this was election week. None. Did not know that this was gonna, how it was going to work out. It just happened to work out. God's funny that way. we wake up on Wednesday morning, the universe will not have collapsed if the person you don't want to be president gets elected. You all remember that 1992 was like this. Everybody was worried. The loudmouths on the radio were telling us that the universe was going to end if William Jefferson Clinton became president. It didn't happen. Because the world system won't collapse on its own weight. It'll collapse when God collapses it. And when it collapses, there's no going back. So live in the midst of it. Raise your voice while you've got it. But preach the gospel. Live the gospel. Be the gospel. Change the world. In the name of Christ. Let's go ahead and, and pray. And Bob's going to lead us in a song, and then we're going to observe the Lord's table.